Today is Friday, December 27, 2019. On this day in 1985, primatologist Diane Fossey was found murdered at her research camp in Rwanda. To this day, nobody knows who killed her or why. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today, we're covering the murder of famed guerrilla researcher Diane Fossey. Let's go back to Rwanda's Virunga Mountains on December 27, 1985, around 6.30 a.m. The sun had barely risen over the Karasoki research camp when 34-year-old Wayne McGuire was startled awake by men shouting in Swahili. Before McGuire could process what was happening, a frightened camp worker burst into his cabin and pulled him out of bed. McGuire could see a swarm of activity around one of the cabins at the edge of the camp. It belonged to his 53-year-old mentor and fellow guerrilla researcher, Diane Fossey. Something was wrong, very wrong. McGuire sprinted down the 100-yard path and entered Fossey's dwelling. The tiny cabin had been ransacked. As McGuire cleared the overturned furniture and scattered boxes, he could see Fossey lying on the ground in her bedroom, her head propped up on the bed. McGuire thought she might have suffered a heart attack, but when he got closer, he saw the true cause of death. Fossey's face had been split open with a machete. Her killer had entered the cabin by cutting a hole in the tin siding next to Fossey's bed. It was a sign that the murderer had known her well enough to be familiar with the cabin's layout. The gun lying next to Fossey's bed indicated that she had tried to fight back, but the effort had been too little too late. Due to the camp's isolated location in Rwanda's Virunga Mountains, it took five hours for the police to arrive. When they searched the cabin, they found 1,200 U.S. dollars in cash, along with $1,700 worth of traveler's checks. Clearly, this wasn't a robbery. Due to the attack's precise nature, random violence could be ruled out too. Someone had wanted Diane Fossey dead. Although it may seem strange for someone to want to murder the primatologist, Fossey had no shortage of enemies. For years, she had led anti-poaching patrols through the mountain's misty, overgrown forests. In retaliation, the poachers killed many of the gorillas in the troop Fossey observed the most. So when Fossey caught one of these hunters, she felt justified getting violent with them. Following the murder, fellow primatologist Kelly Harcourt told Vanity Fair, Fossey would torture the poachers. She would whip their testicles with stinging nettles, spit on them, kick them, put on masks and curse them, stuff sleeping pills down their throats. 
she reduced them to quivering, quaking packages of fear. But the poachers weren't the only people Fosse mistreated. She was extremely abusive toward her own staff as well. According to Kelly Harcourt, Fosse had a perfectly colonial attitude toward the Africans. On Christmas, she'd give the most extravagant presents to them. Other times, she'd humiliate them. Once I even saw her spit on one of the workers. She would break into their cabins and accuse them of stealing and dock their pay. Unfortunately, the murderer hadn't left behind any evidence. Even in a camp full of skilled trackers, nobody was able to figure out where the killer had gone. But maybe that was because the killer hadn't gone anywhere. Maybe they were still in the camp. Coming up, the police tracked down some suspects. Now back to the story. On December 27, 1985, famous guerrilla researcher Diane Fossey was found murdered at her camp in Rwanda's Virunga Mountains. Although the killer had vanished, there was no shortage of potential suspects. Fossey was aggressive towards the area's poachers and known to be abusive with her own staff as well. Shortly after the funeral on December 31, 1985, the Rwandan police made an arrest. Five of Fossey's trackers were taken into custody and placed in the Ruhenieri prison. There were two motivating factors behind the arrests. First, the murder weapon, which had been found under Fossey's bed, came from the research camp. Second, the police felt the trackers had behaved suspiciously at the funeral. However, the logic behind both of these points was extremely tenuous. The police were unable to properly take fingerprints from the murder weapon because it was passed back and forth between so many people between its discovery and it being placed into evidence. As for the so-called suspicious behavior at the funeral, it was down to a cultural misunderstanding. During the event, one of Fosse's American colleagues gave one of the trackers a hug. This gesture is extremely uncommon in Rwanda. Even in sad circumstances like a funeral, strangers would only shake hands. Since this American colleague was known to clash with Fosse, the police assumed that she and the trackers had conspired together. They believed the trackers had carried out the murder on the American colleague's behalf. Ultimately, the trackers were never charged with any crime. Although it took several months for them to be released from prison, they didn't face any further punishment. In mid-January of 1986, the police stumbled onto a new lead. Instead of the killer coming from inside the research camp, they thought it may have been a poacher. This belief came from a letter Fosse had written about an encounter with a poacher that past November. Evidently, Fosse had captured a poacher and discovered magic charms on his person. These items were so important to the poacher that Fosse's guards had to restrain him. Even though the poacher was put in prison, 
Rwandan jails didn't have the same security measures as American correctional institutions. As long as he had enough money, the poacher could have easily hired some muscle to break into Fossey's cabin and retrieve his charms. Then, when Fossey woke up during the break-in, the intruder killed her with one of the camp's machetes. Unfortunately, proving that this poacher had arranged the attack on Fossey was nearly impossible to prove. Nevertheless, the investigations continued. And by mid-1986, the police finally, formally charged a suspect. But it wasn't a poacher. It was Wayne McGuire, the graduate researcher who was one of the first people to find Fossey's body. According to the Rwandan government, Maguire had killed his mentor in order to steal the manuscript of her upcoming book. As evidence, they pointed to hairs clenched in Fossey's hands. Laboratory tests showed that they belonged to a white person. And Maguire was the only Caucasian at the camp at the time of the murder. Additionally, the government claimed Maguire had taken two boxes of papers from Fossey's cabin after the murder. Even though Maguire was no longer in the country, the Rwandan government went ahead with a trial in absentia. With no defense present, Maguire was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. Ultimately, this verdict was likely mostly for show. Rwanda didn't have an extradition agreement with the United States and made no attempt to actually make sure that Maguire was punished for his alleged crime. Furthermore, the American authorities never seemed to seriously consider him a suspect. As of 2019, there have been no new developments in the Diane Fossey murder case. But while her murder may never be solved, her legacy lives on. Her foundation, now known as the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund International, continues to promote mountain gorilla conservation. While the foundation doesn't use the same aggressive tactics as its founder, it plays an extremely important role in protecting these highly intelligent primates. And for that, Diane Fossey would surely be grateful. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out the ParCast original Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime.
Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Alex Benedon, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 